Um, I want to tell you a little bit about Otter Creek for me and my family. We are part of the old building. I think several of you are. But we actually, I was doing the math, and it's been 25 years that my family has been a part of this congregation. And that's hard to believe. And as Paulette shared, yes, we do have three children. Um, they are, we are not quite empty nesters, but we're on our way. Um, so we've still got one who is a sophomore in high school, and she will remind me very quickly that she's not used to having all the attention, um, just to maybe not ask so many questions. She's pretty direct. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's time for us, everything there is a season, right? So maybe it's time for us to move this. But we also have a plus one. Occasionally, if you see some communications from me, Grace Moore Allen is um, a beloved child of ours as well. Her mom passed away several years ago, and that's a whole other God story that maybe I'll have a chance to speak with it with Grace's permission. But she is an extension of our family. She is married and expecting her first child, so I'm getting ready to be a grandmother. I'm excited. So, um, okay, so Paul. I decided to say that we were friends through friends. That's kind of how I decided we would say that, that we have really good taste in people. Um, but actually, Paulette, you are more than a friend to me. You are a servant and an example, and you are full of wisdom. And I am deeply, deeply grateful you asked me to speak today. Um, choosing to attend Otter Creek for my family was pretty um, controversial. I grew up in a very conservative background. And my parents came, and I was nervous the first time at the old building whenever they attended because there was a praise team, <laughs> okay? That was a big deal, and there were women on the praise team, and this generated a lot of conversation in my home. What a distraction and places and so forth. And now they've really got their hands full because they have a daughter who has just completed her master's in ministry in Christian arts. So um, anyway, you see what can happen, right? See what can happen. Um, no, she said Christian arts, not the mystic arts. Yeah, right, that's right. <laughs> true, that's but I actually, um, I, I love the body of Otter Creek. I love you members very, very much. And I love the name of this class, um, Aging in Place. Now, just so you know, I celebrated a pretty significant milestone birthday recently. I turned 50. For those of you who have passed that milestone, I ask for your grace and mercy. It's a big one, okay? It's one of those that causes you to, as my daddy would say, sit up and take notice. Um, you begin to do some things like take inventory of your life, right? You start to think through, what have I done? I may be probably halfway more there. Um, here we go. Um, so what have we done? And what's the legacy? And what do I still want to do? So I guess that's known as a midlife crisis. Um, and that's fine. But I, I actually was not just those, those types of experiences were there. But also there was a spiritual evaluation for me at that time. And that wasn't exactly, to be really honest, what I envisioned my midlife crisis to be. Where was that Ferrari? It didn't, it didn't happen. No, I, I actually had a midlife crisis with spirituality. Um, I realized that my foundation was great, but I needed more. I had a lot of questions. And so I decided to do something radical. I went to jail. That's what I did. I went to jail. Um, and I went to jail for four years. <laughs> Um, as Paulette said, I did participate in the LIFE program at Lipscomb University. Um, of course, it's a faith-based environment, but it brings higher education opportunities to um, persons on the inside. We do this at two different um, institutions here in Tennessee. There's one that is um, a gentleman's institution and the female institution that's known as the, the Deborah Johnson um, facility, and that is where I went. Um, LIFE stands for Learning Initiative for Education. 
And so traditional students like myself on the outside, we would call ourselves, um, can participate by enrolling in these classes, and the classes are physically held inside the prison every week. Um, only 35% of state prisons offer college education, and just 6% of the populace within the institutions take the classes. It is, um, the LIFE program is very much a desired thing within the institution itself. It's a very big honor for the inside students, the inmates, to be able to participate in the program. They have to go through a rigorous screening process to be able to do this. Um, so the undergraduate program began in 2007, and to date, over 30 students have graduated with their undergraduate degree. 14 are set to graduate in 2022. It's a huge deal. Um, but in 2017, a unique opportunity arose for a master's degree program to be piloted with life. The first in the entire country, a master's in ministry in Christian arts, was developed for students on the inside who already had their undergraduate degree. So what that means is these are incarcerated women who are there, and they had college experience, the most of them. So why would they be there? Think on that a second. Um, but this is how this program was set up. It's one class at a time, one week at a time, one semester at a time, over the course of four years, every Wednesday night, inside the Deborah K. Johnson facility, and I and four other women from the outside went through this process to be able to get in. First of all, we went through a TSA check plus. <laughs> um, there is a very strict dress code. Despite the fact that I work at Lipscomb, and I work in the dean's office at Lipscomb, I was turned away several times. I did not meet the code. Um, you go through a pat-down. You have to hold your hand out and get an invisible stamp ink that um, is changed on the daily. You go through a blue light, and they show that you have been stamped and approved to go through the big doors. And then you have to show that stamp also on the way out to be able to get out. We are buzzed in to this compound to join the women to get to class. And when you get inside, um, then you are very scrutinized by the security team right? as you walk through to get to the classes. And just like I said, these women on the inside already had their undergraduate degrees, but they had very different life experiences. And we found these out um, behind these prison walls. So let me be very clear. I was going to be in the room studying with women many of whom have been convicted of murder. Yeah. I was a little girl from Fairview, Tennessee. I grew up in a town with no stoplights. I did not have the internet growing up. I was sheltered. I was married. I was busy with three children, plus. <laughs> I had demands of aging parents. I worked a full-time job. What on earth was I thinking? And did I mention, I had never been in a prison before. <laughs> How on earth did I end up here? And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. How did I end up there? Um, I can tell you stories, and I, if time allows, maybe I'll tell you a few, of my experiences once I was inside. I will tell you that those women have transformed me. Their stories have humbled me. And quite candidly, in those circumstances, I don't know that I wouldn't have been one right beside there. Um, they are brilliant, and they are dear friends of mine. But what I really want to share with you today 
is that this opportunity that was presented to me was actually started a long, long time ago. And I see this, that God is using people in my life and has to get me to a place to be able to do this. And I am convinced that he is using you every single day too, unbeknownst. So let's go back several years to Granny White Autocreek. I'm actually going to tell you a story of um, a Wednesday night when I was on a, doing a Beth Moore study, probably my first. I was a young mom trying to hustle all my children to Wednesday night class and trying to get everybody there and be a good mama and check, check those boxes. And it was sweet Del Vulture that was actually teaching that class. And I remember going through it and there was something moving that was said in that um, night. And I remember going up to Del and saying, thank you. Thank you for teaching this class. And she said, you know, she said, you're welcome. She said, I, I, I turned 40, so because it's been a while. I turned 40, and I realized at some point, I'm going to need to get back. Well, that kind of hit me. And I thought, huh, I hadn't really thought about that before. That's terrible, but it's true. Okay, I'm going to get to a point in my life where I'm going to need to get back too. Okay, so Dell didn't realize the impact of that one statement was going to make for me 30 years later. You need to be able to give back, okay? I, want, I wanted to do that, I wanted to share. Hmm. Okay, so God is always up to something, right? Now I'm about 35. I am unexpectedly pregnant with our third daughter. And I am not sure I am ready to be a mama all over again. <laughs> I am distraught, <laughs> I am overwhelmed. I have children in preschool, and at that time, my mother was not in good health, so I was caring for her quite a bit. I was not sure how exactly I was supposed to be raising another child. Pat Roward wrote me a letter. Who else gotten a letter from Pat in this room? Uh-huh. Okay. It's her God-given gift. Uh, but it was the first of handfuls of letters that I had received from her. And the letter was beautiful. It was talking about the fact that Unexpected ch children can be big blessings, a.k.a. Pat. But in that letter, Pat also wrote, God has brought this life to you, and he will provide. Well, here we are, <laughs> 15 years later. And yes, Anna Carlton has been the biggest blessing, and we did get through that. So how does that relate to the master's program? Well... Who would know that when I was making this decision, I was also thinking through the fact that I am married, I have three plus children, I work full time, I have aging parents. How in the world am I going to add this into the equation? There was a message, there was a seed that was planted several years ago. God will provide, and it was proven by a simple note from Pat Ward. Let's go further. It's now 2007, and I just actually saw Dr. Lowry, and I said, are you coming to this class today? Because if you are, I'm referencing you. <laughs> he said, no, it's okay. But he was actually here at this building preaching. Um, and as part of his sermon, he was talking about a new program that was being rolled out in 2007 called the LIFE program. And Dr. Lowry invited anyone who was interested to come down and speak to him about that, just to get some questions. And I felt called 
was like, I, I remember looking at Tim and said, I, I think I want to go talk to him about this. And so I did. And we went down and we talked about it and let him know that I would be interested in being a part of this. So do you think that Dr. Lowry knew that I would be a student, not a, not a helper, but a student in that program, and that my life would be completely and utterly transformed as a result of that program 10 years later, just by a word that he spoke? Now it's 2017. And I had a life crisis, was in a spiritually dry place. Several of my friends are taking an opportunity to grow themselves by taking a class at Lipscomb. Let's talked about gender and ministry and women's roles. And it was going to be held in the house of Dr. and Mrs. Lowry and John York, just also teaching. And I realized I needed to grow. I needed to even test my faith a bit. And so I was going to just audit the class. And John wisely said, you won't do the work. I need you to take it for credit. You have to write a 15-page paper at the end. I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> he said, yes, you can. And so I did it. I signed it for credit. And it was in that class that one of the guest speakers came and started talking about the life program and a master's program opportunity. So my friends who encouraged me during the course of that, do you think that, just to take that first class, do you think they had any idea that their words would have such a big impact just by including me? Their invitation and their prompt has led to a completely different trajectory for my life and my spiritual walk. Now, I share this story with you because I know that God is actively alive in all of our lives. He uses us differently, and he uses us over time. These things that happened over the course of several years brought me to a place of comfort to be able to know, yes, I actually can do this. Um, I don't want us to underestimate our value and our worth in given situations. God doesn't. He uses the smallest moments, the smallest little seeds to build up people. And I do believe that there is an opportunity that we have um, in this world with Josh talking about greed, but it's, it's, it's this moment of, I've got to do more. I've got to do more, I've got to do more, I've got to do more. Or it's got to be big to matter. I've got to go overseas and create this. I've got to adopt this family. I've got to um, create this ministry. He's using you every single day in certain ways, and you may not even know it. You may not know all the ways that he is. Um, I want to read something called a liturgy, which is just an organized prayer. One of those words that I learned in school. Um, and this one is designed for not done great things for God. How many times have I been told, oh Christ, by well-meaning people, that it is my destiny and my charge to go out into the world and do great things for you? How many times in response have I prayed earnestly, asking that you would bring such things to pass, that you might use me mightily for the work of your kingdom? How many times have I then waited expectantly and waited and waited for that great thing, whatever it might be, to be made obvious? How many times have I felt then the gradual settling of disillusionment, of disappointment and confusion when no great thing 
materialized. No life-changing opportunity suddenly arrived at my doorstep when no such moment of call or clarity was ever manifest at all. In the confused afterglow of those receding anticipations, I am always faced with the unglamorous reality of my own life, of my ongoing failures simply to love well the people around me, and of my own ever-present struggle even to desire and to pursue a path of righteousness and obedience in my own small daily choices and habits. I am faced again with the same litany of tired old temptations towing their attendant shames, and in such times I'm left, O Lord, wondering if I have somehow completely missed your call. And whether I just might as well abandon this pilgrim path entirely, for I feel that you must see me and myself as unfit. Unfit for any service to you or your people or even to this world. So tell me, God, where is the disconnect between that life right with breathtaking demonstrations of your power that I am told that I should, that should be the hallmark of my walk with you? Where is the disconnect between those fantastic notions and the reality of my actual life, which is filled with petty frustrations, mundane responsibilities, and constant reminders of my own failure to wear the name of Christ? What is wrong that I should even desire to do a great thing for you, Jesus? Am I amiss to plead that I might be mightily used in your work? Do I need more faith, more righteousness, more of your spirit? Or have you simply judged me unworthy of your service? Where, O Lord, do I go from here? Have you felt that? Because I certainly had. So here's the intercession. O child of God, listen well and be comforted. He has never judged you unfit for any service he has called you to. For it is Christ's righteousness. He has clothed you. And his measure of greatness has never been your own. If you were to pray to do good things for God, then you must pray such prayers without regard of how they should be answered. Pray them, knowing that in his true and holy reckoning, such greatness will most often be expressed in a long practice of humble and sacrificial servanthood. And not in any pursuit prompting a rise to power or position or prestige. His might is most often displayed as the grace that cradles and transcends our brokenness, and poverty of spirit. Let me read that again. His might is often displayed as the grace that cradles and transcends our brokenness and poverty of spirit. If you would be so broken that the light of his grace might be more visible within you, shining from your chipped seams and shattered fragments, then by all means make your earnest request of him. Make them with sincerity and make them without reservation. But if the root of your prayer is rather some desire for a heightened prominence or sense of accomplishment and worth, either in your own eyes or the eyes of others, then it would be better for you not to pray such prayers at all. Examine well your heart and motives before asking his greatness to be displayed in your life. When he answers, it will not be on your terms. For it is not you that will do any great thing. 
it's not you that will do anything great, for, great thing for God, but God laboring in you and through you who will greatly accomplish his own good purposes according to the workings and sovereignty of his love. So be liberated now from this burden of believing that anything depends upon you. Be so liberated at last to give yourself to this joyful service and grateful response for the grace that he has lavished upon you. You have till now been too invested in the results of your own efforts as if those outcomes were a thing that you could ever know or measure in this life. Be invested, child, in simple obedience to your king and in long faithfulness to his call. Shepherding daily those gifts and tasks and relationships he has entrusted to you, regardless of outcomes and appearances. He will bring all things right in his way and in his time. And he asks your willingness. Your heart is in his hands. Your ways are in his hands. Your days are in his hands. So be content in the station he has appointed you in this season, and yet be ever ready to move at the impulse of his love. Tend well those things that are before you, however humble they may be. And he will lead you in time to other works that are good that he has appointed for you. Whether big or small is absolutely of no matter. He attaches no numbers to your service. It is your heart and faithfulness he appraises. Seek not your own glory. Seek God and his glory. Be seen in you, radiant in humility and in strength in the might made manifest even in your brokenness, evident even in the smallest of services, rendered unto him and in his name, even though they may not be seen, but by you and him. Your reward is secure. So I ask you all to think through what you've done as you take inventory in your life. And I pause to say, you probably have impacted so many more in so many other ways that you aren't even aware of. When I hit that milestone, I had that thought, I've got to do something big. Master's degree was great, and it has changed my life. I would recommend it to everyone. It's created a whole bunch of questions. It's good. Um, But what I've learned is that... God works in us in very simple ways. Um, I shared with you a song that you all know. And just want you to take a look at it. I've sung this since I was a child. I'm going to read it before we sing part of it together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold and a might without a hold. Take my intellect and use every power that you would choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer be mine. Take my heart, it is thine. It will be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet of its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only owned for thee. 
So what is this? When I've sung this, I've never really thought about what I'm saying. My life, my moments, my days, my hands, my feet, my voice, my message, <laughs> my money, my brain, my will, my heart, and ultimately, my love. God used so many people in my life for years to get me to a place to be able to feel comfortable to pursue God in a different way. All those people did not know. It was not our business to know. God was using them. And God is using you. Let's sing the last verse. Actually, we'll sing, we'll sing the last two. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet. myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Thank you for being inspirations for me and for doing little things that mean big things. Um, I appreciate it and I'm so honored to be with you all today. You're doing great things.